Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is uh, Carlos, CEO of GAR Capital. Welcome to our podcast. I know it's been a while, but for the most part, it's really just been due to uh, subjects that we need to talk about. Since we've been doing uh, Instagram Lives, YouTube videos, kind of taken away from the podcast, and I apologize that we haven't done more. I know uh, I've gotten a lot of DMs and emails saying that you know you missed the podcast, that you really enjoy it, especially when you're not driving. Well, no one's really driving as much anymore, but they enjoy listening to it and us talking about the market. So, you know, I will definitely take it into consideration to do more uh, just with so much going on in the market and so much going on in a social aspect, obviously with this coronavirus, you can understand that we have our hands full and our team is uh, hands full. So I'm doing this podcast as a way to kind of bridge. It's been a while. Let's get you caught up on some other stuff. I know everyone has a ton of questions. So what I did was that I asked on Instagram a question said, hey, what would you want the subject matter to be on? And you guys flooded it with answers. And there was one that stood out to me saying about the Fed, the Federal Reserve and the economy and basically what's uh, going on in the world. Uh, What's going on with all this uh, happening with this flood of new money, uh, monetary policy, macroeconomic impact, stimulus, socialism, the whole night. So what I'm going to do is kind of break it down on what's happening, why it's happening and how it's going to affect you. So uh, let's go ahead and get started. So uh, a couple of things I want to kind of preface this podcast is that there's going to be two very important aspects when I talk. One side is fact. It's going to be facts. I'm going to clearly state the word fact. These are facts. And the other ones are going to be opinions. So again, I have opinions. You have opinions. You can say, I don't care about your opinion, Carlos. Or I could say, I really, really want to hear your opinion, Carlos. And that's okay, guys. Opinions are not fact. Uh, and facts are not opinions. They're two different sides of the coin. But it's important to have all the facts in front of you so you can make your own conclusion. Some of this stuff is going to be political. I know people are very politically charged and they get very sensitive about political issues. Whether you're right, left, center, up, down, left, right, whatever, it doesn't matter. What matters is how you think. It matters is how, how what, what, what matters to you. That's basically what well, uh, at the end of the day. So I'm going to preface it by saying, personally, me, Carlos Garcia, CEO of GAR Capital, GAR Capital, tends to lean, I'm, I'm pretty liberal. I'm a liberal guy. I am a social liberal, personally. But when it comes to fiscal stuff, I'm a fiscal conservative. I believe, again, this is opinion, I believe that the government should balance their books and balance their, their uh, checkbook just like I have to, just like you have to. That's just how I think. But in the social aspect, I tend to lean more liberal. I know I, I tend to want... Uh, the government to help people who need it and that's okay if you don't agree with me totally understand you probably want to turn me off right now and that's okay but again there's some things that I'm conservative about just like fiscal policy I'm pretty conservative social aspect I tend to be more liberal I just want to preface that I'm not some loony commie obviously as a CEO of a of a consulting firm that trades Wall Street stock options uh, yeah not exactly a liberal paradise so again you just kind of have it with a grain of salt but again, uh, I'm not going to have any politically charged conversations. I'm not going to say anything in regards to I don't like the president or I don't like this person or I love this person. The idea is not to blame anyone politically because there's no one really to blame. Uh, I'm not here to, to bash on the president or bash past administrations or to praise any administrations. Right here, we're going to talk about is monetary policy, economics, and why we're here. And what's past is past, guys. We could put blame all day, but who cares? Uh, we're just trying to see where do things go forward. So again, just want to preface that. Again, this is not a political conversation. It is not a political conversation. 
repeat it one more time, it's not a political conversation. This is a economic conversation, a global macroeconomic conversation. You take it as you like. Okay, let's talk about the Federal Reserve. What the hell is the Federal Reserve, right? You'd probably think to yourself, what is that? Well, there's a couple things I want you to really think about here. The Federal Reserve is a central bank and they are independent. They're not, they are kind of a government agency, but they're more of a hybrid. Now you have some people, again, these are opinions. This is an opinion side. Some people have the conspiracy of the Rothschilds and they control everything and they're only certain countries don't have any issue, don't have any money with the Fed, so they're against the United States. Those are opinions, those are not facts. The fact is that the Federal Reserve exists and it's part of the United States, but they are an independent agency. That's a fact. An opinion is that you may think they're evil, you may think that they're trying to control everybody. That's an opinion. We're sticking to facts here. They were created in the early 1900s in order to regulate monetary policy. That's a fact. Now, they were created as well to prevent panics in the market and capital markets, all that, in money, money-wise. That's a fact. Have they helped with any kind of recessions or, or uh, depressions uh, since their creation? Well, that really depends on your perspective. We've really, uh, in recession-wise, really had about maybe seven recessions since the formation of the, of the uh, Federal Reserve. We've had three major ones. Uh, that would be 1929 crash, 2008, and what we're going through now. This is considered a recession, guys. So I guess you could say that's, that's three. The rest of them are very minor recessions, slowdown of economic growth, uh, minor in regards to in the comparison of the grand scheme of things. So have they helped in regards to uh, mitigate any kind of depressions or panics or anything? That's up to you to decide. I mean, if you ask my opinion, have they helped? Uh, no, they haven't. But that's, that's an opinion, just so you know. Okay, the first thing I want to start with is that I know we talk about stocks all the time, but I really want you to open your eyes here to the capital markets or the bond markets. Fixed income. So fixed income and bonds are together. The fixed income market and the bond market is a lot larger than the stock market. I think the stock market, global stock market, uh, or this, uh, let's say the United States stock market is probably about $17 trillion in capitalization. The global bond market is $100, $100 trillion, right? So keep that in scale. What is the capital markets? What are bonds? Borrowing money, it's lending money, it's a lending facility. It's basically when you borrow money, corporations, municipals, states, uh, countries, those, they borrow money. We are, a, we are a system, global system of credit. And everyone needs credit in order to expand. They just can't save money forever and then want to expand. They want access now. That creates jobs. Whatever your, your position is on debt, uh, but leverage is important. It is important to scale with leverage. I'm not talking about a credit card from Macy's where you just buy dumb crap and then you're in debt forever. No, I'm talking about, you know, there's different kinds of credit. There's different kinds of bonds. Bonds pay for payroll. Bonds pay for expansion. Sometimes bonds pay for pensions. Sometimes bonds pay for different type of things, more hiring, uh, stuff like that. And then also pays for buyback of shares, but let's bookmark that. So again, the capital markets, let's keep that in perspective, is a lot larger than the stock market. So we're gonna talk about that a little more. So a bond. A bond is basically you're lending money to an entity. Again, it's states, it could be countries, sovereign countries, it could be corporations, municipalities. Think of your your local town that you live in, they have, they have debt, they have bonds that they sell to investors. As an investor, you want to invest in something where you get paid. So let's break down a bond. There's always that 
that talk of yield, which is rate of return versus safety. The actual holy grail is to have that middle piece where it's safe and high yielding. The more high yield you get, the better return is the more risky you get, just like anything else in life. And the lower yield you get, the more safe it is for the most part. Like a CD at a bank that's FDIC insured up to 250,000 is not gonna pay you a lot of yield. But if you bought a, uh, a high uh, junk bond or high yield debt, which is bonds, they could pay uh, for an oil company that doesn't have great books and they're triple B rated, they're probably gonna give you about 9%. But again, it's risky, they can default. So probably you're thinking to yourself, default, what does that mean? Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and break this down as well. So you know what a credit score is, right? I'm assuming that you do so, FICO score. So uh, someone is an 850, that's the highest FICO score you can get. 350 is the lowest being junk, subprime, whatever you want, like pretty much, you have to really, really try hard to be a 350. Like you don't wanna pay anybody. You're going out of your way to not pay anybody back. So let's equate the A50 to a higher yield, a higher credit or higher uh, quality credit. For example, AAA rated. So what does AAA mean? AAA, I'm pretty sure you've uh, watched The Big Short. If you haven't, it's a great movie, uh, The Big Short. I recommend you watch it. AAA is a rating for bonds or sometimes de or de debt. Like we said, bonds is debt. So AAA, the United States has a AAA. They're the highest credit quality. Why are they the highest credit quality? Because they print money. They can literally just print money and pay you. They really don't have to work for it. It's an example. But the other two companies in the United States that have a AAA rated equation of an 850 credit score is Microsoft and Johnson Johnson, ticker symbol MSFT and J&J. &J. They have the highest credit quality, meaning if you're lending them money, they're going to pay you back. Like it's pretty much a certainty. Granted, there's always risk, but again, it's, it's pretty much high certainty. Then you have the lowest on the scale, triple Bs, double Bs, very low, very low quality. I'm talking about some of the companies on there you're talking about are junk bonds, what we call, is like a very up and coming aggressive biotech, very up and coming aggressive oil companies. You know, very little money, but you know, they're trying to raise cash in order to expand operations, expand uh, payroll, whatever. You know, think of it as, as, as uh, subprime. You know, somebody that you know wants to borrow money, they can't go to their local bank and get it to where they go. They go to a paycheck advance place. It's not the best, but they need liquidity. They need that money. And sometimes when you're desperate, you're going to have to pay that high, high interest rate. And those paycheck advance places, they make great return on their money if they pay. Again, they have to charge that high money uh, return or uh, interest because there's higher rate of default. Meaning the guy who has a history of not paying bills, you're hoping that he does pay bills. And what if he doesn't? There's a reason why you charge that fee. So now we know about the ratings, right? Kind of broke it down. There's three companies that rate these, these, this paper, Moody's, S&P, and Fitch. Not all of them have the AAA rated. Some of them are different, but again, it's all kind of the same. They just rate securities, which are bonds. Okay, so now we know about the ratings. We know about how that works, high yield, low yield, whatever. Capital markets are very important and how it's affected. Let's go ahead and talk about the Fed again. Independent agency, we know what they do, right. So what is their role exactly? What are they supposed to do? Basic of the basic guys, all they do is control something what we call the money supply. When they need to expand the money supply, when times are pretty bad and they wanna stimulate the economy, what do they do? They push more cash into the public. So people, so banks lend it out more. So they expand operations. And what does that cause? It tends to cause in an economical academic sense, in a common sense space, inflation. 
Again, too much money, more money is chasing fewer goods. It doesn't mean more goods were created, it just means more money is chasing those goods. That's what inflation means a definition. Too much money chasing too few goods. That's inflation. On the opposite side, you have when times are really good, you know, times are booming times, in order to curb inflation, the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, which is lowering the money supply. They're removing money from the system in order to cool down the market. Economics, guys, is what we call the boring science. There's no such thing as the right answer. It just never is. It's like the three little bears. You have too hot, too cold, just right. You always want to be on just right. Never too hot. You don't want too hot of a stock market because it creates inflation. And you don't want too cold of a market. Forget stocks. I'm talking about economy. You don't want too low of, a, of an economy because then people lose work. And you don't want that. Obviously, we're thinking ahead. As I sip my water. Excuse me. Anyways, so here we are. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, Carlos, well, where are we? Well, we've been lowering rates now for about a year and a half. And we were raising rates for about two years when President Trump was in office. During the Obama administration, again, this is political. These are political facts. This is what happened. When Barack Obama was elected in 2012, I believe. Was it 2012? Jeez. 2008. Sorry. 2008, he was elected. He was right during the smack dab of the financial crisis. Fine. The Federal Reserve lowered rates across the board. Countries all over the world were lowering rates because we were going through the financial crisis. We already know how that worked, what that, what that happened. We talked about, we, we, everyone knows what the big short or whatever, if you've researched it, about the housing crisis, mortgage-backed securities, which I'll get over here in a second. Again, in order to prevent a worldwide depression and this recession, they had to lower interest rates and stimulate the economy, whether it's the $700, $700 billion bailout bill for the banks, because they're almost at the point of insolvency, a lot of issues, right? Again, whether you're political leaning on the side, you think it was the right idea, moral hazard, we'll get to that. But that's what happened. That's a fact. And ever since then, Janet Yellen was the federal, uh, the, 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 Fed, the Fed chairwoman. Before that was Bern Bernanke. So Janet Yellen was the person running the show. In order for to, to lower rates, you have to have a committee. She doesn't do it all on her own, just like uh, Chairman Powell doesn't do it on his own. It's all committee. And they all agreed during that time 2008, 2016, just kept rates low. We didn't have a real strong recovery, but we had a recovery, sure. I think 2008, 2009 is kind of behind us. Obviously, like that's kind of already done with. There was some legislation passed, and you know, there's some consumer advocacy programs. You had uh, Dodd-Frank bill. The banks were regulated to a certain degree, not too much. But again, the banks were consolidated and more powerful moving forward. Take it as you want, but that's a fact. So that now what does it take us now? Well, Fed Chair Powell was, was uh, appointed by President Trump and he began a policy of raising rates to curb inflation. Well, inflation was pretty tame to begin with, but again, he kept raising rates, which it was in his mind, you know, the economy was recovering. And if you're the Federal Reserve, guys, when times are getting better, you need to raise rates because in a sense, if something bad happens, you need some ammo in your pocket. You need some ammo in your pocket in order to fight a, a, a slowdown or a depression or a recession. That's completely normal. That's fine. So now we're talking about, we're going to bookmark that. Now we're going to talk about money supply, right? We talked about raising rates, lowering rates. How does the Fed really work, right? How, you know, how does that work? A lot of people say, well, how does that work? They just print money? Sounds, sounds kind of cute when you say printer go burr, but it doesn't really work that way. Obviously, I know you know what that means. There's that physical money that's set out there. I mean, 
really about 5% of all money in the United States, maybe even less than that, is paper money. The rest is electronic, guys. It's really just a keystroke. So what the Federal Reserve says, this is what happens. You have Federal Reserve on one side and you have the U.S. Treasury on another. Keep in mind, the U.S. Treasury borrows money from the Fed. That is a fact. They borrow money. The Federal Reserve controls the money. If you look at a dollar, it is a Federal Reserve note backed by nothing. Before the 1970s, it was backed by gold, what we called the gold standard. President Nixon re removed that. That's a fact. So if you look at your money, if you have a dollar laying around, you could see in the back of it says uh, Federal Reserve note, right? But it's not backed by gold. They used to say backed by gold, not anymore. So you're the U.S. Treasury, right? U.S. Treasury, Steve Mnuchin, whatever. And you want some money. So you tell the Federal Reserve how much you want. Well, I want $100 billion. So what the Federal Reserve does is literally give money to the, Fe the Treasury, $100 billion through a keystroke. They just keystroke it, not pieces of paper on it, but the pieces of paper backs it because it's physical. And that $100 billion goes to banks. It literally goes to banks at an X amount of interest. And what does the Fed get in return? They get Treasury bonds. They get Treasury bonds. So when people say that the Federal Reserve is providing liquidity, what they're doing is buying bonds, hence quantitative easing. That's a big word, quantitative easing. That is when the Federal Reserve is giving cash to the Treasury for bonds, 10-year bonds, 30-year bonds, meaning notes from the government, we will pay you back. The government is giving the Federal Reserve IOUs in order to get cash in return, which the Treasury gives to, to the banks. And what do the banks do? They pay the government some interest. Yes? And what they do is that they lend it out. Mortgages, car loans, student loans, whatever. But that stimulates the economy because they're providing the credit markets. We talked about that, the credit markets. So what do the banks do? They back, this is where the key is, the credit market is backed by banks. So what they do is that they, JP Morgan, Bank of America, all these guys, they underwrite these bond offerings to investors. Now we're getting somewhere. So you're a bank. Great, yes, I'm a bank. And company, you're company A. Company A wants to expand. And they need $2 billion in order to expand. They have a good balance sheet. They're a growing company. They want to access the capital markets in the bond market. So they go to their underwriter. They go to their banker at JP Morgan Chase. And they say, Mr. Banker, I need $2 billion and I would like to make a bond offering. As the bond salesman, he said, as the investment banker, investment banker, he's like, yeah, I can do that for you. Great. What, give me your offering documents. Let me see your books and then see what we could do. Because we'd have to rate your company. We'd have to see how big your company is. We have to get a rating from Moody's, S&P, all these guys, right? We have to see exactly, can you pay any money back? I mean, let's see how your books are. What's it for? You know, it's kind of like going to a loan. Company says, sure. Company gives them the books and they look at it. And they say, okay, let me crunch some numbers with my quants, the math people, and I'll get back to you. Great. Keep in mind, this money that JP Morgan has to set up is coming from the, the, the U.S. Treasury, which came from the Federal Reserve. It gets really quick. Time out. Let's get back to the JP Morgan guy versus the company A CEO. So the JP Morgan guy says, hey, man, looks great. Let's go ahead and do a bond auction, bond auction and we'll set it up. Cool. JP Morgan salesman makes a commission on that. Money's being made. Bond salesman got bond. Uh, the CEO from company A says, I need some money. Great. I'm happy. Investors say, 
All right, JP Morgan guy, what do you got for me? I got some money to invest. What's up? I like, I like fixed income. Usually it's not one person. It's, it's pension funds. It's mutual funds. It's you know, big institutions that invest in these, on these bonds. Again, guys, this is called fixed income bonds. And what we call here, what I'm talking about here is, uh, is company debt. Companies, like capital market accessible company debt, meaning company bonds. Apple could do this. Microsoft could do this. Johnson Johnson could do this. ExxonMobil could do this. If you're a big enough company, you can have access to the capital markets. Great. So JP Morgan guy says, okay, I have 2 billion of 30 year notes that I could sell at about looking at his credit quality. He's about a A rated from S and P and Fitch. You can offer this out 6%, 6%. Wow. Okay. They basically borrowed money at 6% interest for $2 billion. So they have to auction this off. That's just the not, that's just the face value right now. Again, just because they offer it doesn't mean people will buy it. This perfect example is WeWork. WeWork had bonds offering. Guess what? They went to hell because uh, the other the company um, SoftBank is not backing them anymore. The Vision Fund and that that gentleman in Japan. So company A, they go to the, access to capital markets. JP Morgan goes on a roadshow and starts selling these bonds. They say, hey, listen, we're gonna. I got a great company that's trying to offer some bonds, six percent yield. What do you think? And you look at the books and you're an investor and you're a pretty shrewd investor. You say, meh, I can either flip this like a house or I can keep it for nominal value. All right, man, I'm going to buy 100 million of these bonds. All right, cool. Let's make a market. Now, again, when you talk about bonds, guys, keep in mind, bonds are not the same as you and I trading stocks on TD Ameritrade. When you see guys online or on, on TV and movies, the guys on the headsets with the Bloomberg terminal, they're not trading stocks, mind you. They're trading fixed income. Fixed income is where the money is in Wall Street. Stock trading is not. Stock trading, somewhat, is more algorithms. F bond trading, bond trading is where the money is. That's where all the money is changed hands in an everyday basis. So you're working a desk at JP Morgan and you're the bond salesman. And the guy says on the phone, yeah, man, let me go ahead and buy 100 million of these 6% yield uh, company A debt. And you're like, great. What you do is you quote the guy. You quote the guy. Okay, I'm setting in the guy. Obviously, your counterparty was says, I'm not going to pay you 100 cents on the dollar. Obviously, I want to be a shrewd, shrewd buyer. I say, I'll use 97 cents on the dollar. And you're JP Morgan. You say, come on, man. This is newly issued. This guy's on fire. This guy, this guy, guy paid back 98 cents on the dollar. I'm not in a rush. I got a feeding frenzy here. All right, done. He buys, makes that transaction. He pays you cash. You give him the bonds. Now, the guy who just bought the bonds, let's say he's from Wells Fargo. He says... I can flip this. I can trade these bonds or I can keep them and keep them in my books. I can keep them in my books and it's considered pretty safe. They're double A rated or single A rated, like we say. And we're cool. I mean, it's, just, it's pretty good and we get paid interest. So again, it's kind of like I bought a CD from my neighbor who's got a CD that's paying 2% and I just bought it from him. I said, hey, this is the cash. Just give me the CD and I'm happy. That's fixed income trading. Yes. But then the guy at the end of the day is the happiest is the guy who borrowed the money because now he has the money to expand his capital operations, his equipment, whatever, his payroll. Yes, that's how the economy goes, guys. It really is that simple. It's all about credit. Yes. So again, those are what we call fixed income bonds, but those are corporate bonds. That's a corporation. That's one side of the Rubik's Cube. Corporations. So that's corporate debt. You also have municipal debt which is like your neighborhood that needs to pay for the parks, that needs to pay for the police, that needs to pay for the schools. 
whatever. And they pay you an interest too. They need access to capital too. They can only raise so many taxes. They have to make an offering. Guess what? They go to JP Morgan, they go to these big guys and they make, they make their offer. And you have governments, state governments. They have bonds too. State governments, California, New York, name it, they have it. And of course, the government, same as well. Government has their 10-year uh, government debt, two-year, one-year, six-month, 30 days. Again, and U.S. Treasury bonds tend to be probably one of the most liquid assets other than cash because they're easy to sell because everyone wants treasuries because the government's going to pay them. It's like cash. So again, that's, that's basically what it is in regards to fixed income. What I want you to guys to see is open up your mind that fixed income is way more important than the stock market in general, general, generally speaking. But we see CNBC all day and all they talk about is stocks. I get it. Stocks is because we own stocks, but most times they're not. Fixed income is way more important. And to be honest with you, fixed income is what we call the smart money. They're actually ahead of the game when it comes to the stock market. You can actually almost pinpoint falls and rises based on the capital markets or fixed income. It's the truth. And keep in mind, guys, just like bonds, when the yield goes up, the price goes down. And when the price goes up, the yield goes down. So sometimes some bonds get more valuable because there's a demand for it. And just quite the opposite. If there's demand is flat, they need to increase the yield in order to attract money. The government does the same with their bonds, guys. That's why when you look at a 10-year bond and you see how low it's gotten from you know, three years ago when it was about 2.5%, 3%, look where we are now. The demand is so high for safe assets like a U.S. Treasury that the yield has gotten lower. Great. So now we're going to talk about where we are. We talked a little bit. We talked about that breakdown about, uh, about, uh, about bonds and how that works. So now let's talk about where we are now. COVID-19. Let me preface by saying, guys, this is just about money. But again, this is a health crisis. And I do wish everyone the best. And I hope everyone is safe at home. Social distancing. Make that perfectly clear. We're going to talk about money. The economy that we're in now, guys, is not a result, direct result of the uh, COVID-19. It isn't. It is a, a big part of it, sure, but not everything. We were teetering at all-time highs with a ton of debt. A lot of people were leveraged in, into getting this market. A lot of companies, what they did was use the capital markets, wink, wink, in order to buy back stock. What, is buy, what does corporate buybacks do? Well, it lowers the float, shares outstanding, and increases the value. How does that increase the value? Less supply, price goes up, right? Well, when your CEO and your board of directors is compensated based on growth of the stock price and you're a CEO, what are you going to do with the excess cash that you have in your company? You're going to do whatever it takes to increase that stock price. Am I correct? Usually the case. This is where the human emotion comes in, guys. And you really can't blame CEOs here. Why can't you blame CEOs? Because that's human nature. Human nature tends to take advantage of things. We don't want to do anything that are illegal, but we're willing to push the envelope a little bit in order to get more. Human greed, human emotion, just the reality of things. That's a fact. It's not an opinion. It's just the truth. So you could say, all oh, these CEOs got greedy. Everyone gets greedy. If, you don't, if you're telling me right now that you've never pushed the envelope anything, then I really don't believe you because most people do that on their taxes, let alone their companies. I mean, there's times where people have done their tax and like, oh, that was a tax deduction when it really wasn't. But they want to pay less in taxes, right? It's just like CEOs, the same thing. So what they're doing, in a sense, is just saying, well, I want to get paid more. I want to buy that boat. Maybe I could just borrow money really cheap from the Fed, wink, wink, thanks a lot, Fed, and I could just buy back stocks. I can use the capital markets in order to borrow money really cheap, 
use that money to buy back stock, which will increase my equity. And guess what? I get paid more. The company does better because we're doing great. And the bonds, I could pay it off later. It's a win-win. It's kind of like you're saying, I'm going to get a raise next year. Let me go on that vacation. Who cares? I'm going to pay it back. Very, very out forward thinking. Like it's good to take those risks when times are good. But then when the chickens come to roost and things go bad, this is what happens. And then your hands are out and you need to bail out. Now, here's an opinion. I always say this to people. Everyone's a capitalist until they lose their job. Everyone is a rugged capitalist. Capitalism is the most fair and honest way to do things. People who are socialists are lazy. Okay, I, yeah, I, I, that's fine. I, I hear that. And guys, that would be one opposite or the other. Extreme. You know, I'm not saying we should be Cuba or Venezuela. No, but the United States is a socialist country. That's an opinion. Not a fact, but I think it's a fact. But we have socialist policies. We do. Can't be a little bit pregnant, right? It's we're, what we are, in a sense, is we're a hybrid. We're kind of a hybrid. Not as far as China's hybrid. Like, they're capitalist with communism. We're socialist slash when we have to be slash capitalism when we want to be. What I say, opinion, we're capitalist when times are good. We're socialist when things go bad. It's a fact. Look at it now. So what you're getting now is that the companies that took all these risks by borrowing from the future and saying, I'll just borrow money from the capital markets in order to buy back stock, in order to boost my, my, my pay, they're screwing their companies with their balance sheet. And... What we have the COVID-19 is called a black swan event. No one really predicted it. It just happened. The United States economy, the worldwide economy, is literally at a halt. 70% of the economy is based on the consumer. We know this, right? 70% is the consumer. No one's going out buying anything unless it's the pharmacy, supermarket, or gas, for the most part. You're not going out to eat. You're not traveling. You're not going to Disney. That's it. Or you're watching Netflix, I'm sure. But other than that, no. Nothing else. So where's the revenue kind of come from? So if you're a CEO, you're saying, well, man, I was going to pay, but I lost my revenue. Just like you have to pay your rent and you can't pay your rent because you got furloughed or laid off. It's not your fault. It just happened. But you didn't have savings. You didn't have that buffer like I've talked about. Companies didn't have either. So it's kind of funny we say to people, hey, have three to six months of expenses when companies themselves don't have even two months of cash reserves. Not every company, but some. So it's very, very, very interesting to see how this change will happen in the United States economy once we get out of this. And to be honest with you, we will get out of this. But uh, it's, it's, this is where we are. It's a fact. A lot of these companies will go into bankruptcy or they will, get, they will be bought out, merged, and acquisition. That's fine. A lot of people are having been working now for about a month. And who knows how, how tough they've had it. I, I can't speak for everybody, but it's been very difficult. And the United States offered a stimulus check to everybody about $1,200. That's what it is. But keep in mind, guys, and this is a fact, corporations have gotten a lot more than people. This is a reality. They have jobs to cover. You're just one person. Scale, right? Let's keep a scale in fact. That's where we are now. That's where we are. So the effect of this, corporate bonds are now declining in value. Not good. If you can't borrow money, you can't expand. You'll have to fire everybody. And that turns into a spiral effect. A spiral effect. So again, if these companies cannot borrow money, raise cash, then they can't keep their employees hired. Those people get fired. Those people who got fired can't pay their bills. Those people who can't pay their bills. Those companies, the bills don't get paid. They have to lay off people. It's very interconnected, guys. It goes one after the other. I'll give you an example how it's interconnected. 
I'm going to talk about MBS, mortgage-backed securities. This is what we call the securitization chain. Everyone talks about rent and I can't pay my rent. And that. You not paying your rent if you're a renter affects the whole chain. How does that work? Okay, so work, walk with me here. Um, forget renting. Uh, you know what? Let's say you're a renter. We'll start from the beginning. You're renting, uh, you're renting a home or whatever. You're renting a home and your rent is a thousand bucks. Make life easy. Thousand dollars. You just got laid off and you can't pay. Oh man, it's tough. And your landlord's like, well, I need payment. Why does he need payment? They have a mortgage on the property, right? They didn't, they didn't buy the cash uh, for that place outright. They used 20% down and they covered the rest of the mortgages. And that's okay. I mean, you can do that. That's fine. I'm not saying buy every home in cash. The ones who bought it with cash, they're sitting pretty, obviously. But again, you can't predict these things. So the person who's paying their mortgage says, I can't pay the mortgage. That's not good. Well, how's the effect? Okay. So let's say, let's, re let's retract here and we're going to go back and say this person can pay the rent and pays the rent. That rent payment goes to the owner of the home. The owner of the home pays the mortgage company. So we're going to pause it right there. The person who got the, the home pays the mortgage, pays the mortgage company. We can agree on that. Excellent. Let's rewind it back for a second. Let's say the guy bought the home two years ago. The guy bought the home, right? Yes. He goes to the local lender and says, I want to buy a home, 30-year fixed, let's do it. The mortgage holder says, yeah, sure, you have a great job, you have this, that, and the other, cool. Okay, great. Buys the home, sets up a deal, his, rent, his mortgage payment is $800, and the rent he's charging out is $1,000. So he makes $200 net profit per month. Excellent. No, you want to make money for your investment. Cool. Right when that person gets that mortgage, that mortgage lender has already sold it the next two days, within the next two days or a week, to an investment bank. This is the big short, if you haven't seen the movie. They talk about this. They sell it to the uh, investment bank, JP Morgan, like we talked about, bonds, right? And what JP Morgan does is that they bundle thousands of these loans together, mortgage-backed securities, MBS. And when thousands of people pay the mortgage, it pays a good yield, and it tends to be very safe. So what they do is that these companies, the investment banks from the lender, go ahead and give, sell these out as bonds to investors. So when a person pays the mortgage, they're not paying the mortgage company. They're not paying the investment bank. They're paying the investor. Very important. So now we're knowing the intertwinement of the capital markets. That's just one example of, of, uh, of bonds. That's mortgage-backed securities. When you have a credit card, same thing. You think it's going to the credit card company. They bundled it up into what we call collateralized debt obligation, CDO. And that's still to this day, guys. That's not moved. That's a lot of money there. So again, you have any kind of debt can be bundled into a bond in order to be sold to investors. We know this. AAA and all that stuff, big short, right? Great. If you want more information on this, just a heads up, you need to watch the, the, the documentary. I highly recommend you do Inside Job. Inside Job. That's uh, about the 2008 housing crash. A great film, by the way. I highly recommend you watch it. So now we know a securitization chain. The person who pays the mortgage is not paying the, is not paying the lender. It's not paying the investment bank. It's paying the, inve paying the investor, the bondholder. Bondholders are very important. So we'll wipe that slate off clean. That's what MBS is. Keep that in mind. Now, you're a company. You're a company that's been slowed down with the COVID virus. Can't pay your bills. Can't borrow money either to stay solvent. The bond market, you're not even paying your bills. All that is affecting, it's all interwebbed. 
So what does the Fed do? The Fed right now, guys, are buying corporate debt, investment-grade corporate debt. They're literally buying those pieces of paper. They're buying MBS. They're buying CDOs. The Fed is literally bailing out the capital markets with flooding it with cash. They're literally buying it with cash. Here's the example. Imagine you're playing Monopoly. You ever play Monopoly? I hope you have. If you ever play Monopoly, and imagine if you ran out of money. Let's say you ran out of money. You bought too many properties in the beginning of your rolls, whatever. You ran out of money. The bank says, don't worry, I got you. I'll just pay it for you. And they pay for you. Wow, great. And you keep going and keep going and keep going. And they just cover any expenses you have, no matter what. If you land on jail, 50 bucks. If you land, if you have to pay repairs on your properties with that little community chest card, don't worry about it. It's all good. If they take the Reading Railroad and your opponent has all four of them and it's $200, guess what? They got you. Don't worry about it. The Fed has literally backstopped any kind of issue and they've said it themselves. We are not going to let the system fail. Why are they not letting the system fail? Well, in their minds, they're saying that we're not going to allow this COVID-19 to ruin the economy. It's a black swan event. It's not more of a fraud or more of a systematic risk. It's an issue due to a virus. Now, if you think that's fair or not, that's, a, that's really a, it's your call, but that's a reality. So the Federal Reserve is literally buying every single bond they can see. I mean, we're, they're stopping short of buying stocks themselves, but that's where we are. So that's a pretty big deal. That has never happened in the history of the United States economy, right? So you're trying to, now here's the next point. You're probably thinking to yourself, oh, the printer go burr, but why is deflation going down? Remember, inflation is too much money chasing few goods, right? But there's no money chasing goods, guys. No one's consuming. You can't have inflation without consumption, guys. That's where we are. So you, printer can go burr all day and then be stacked to cash, but if no one's consuming or what we call velocity of cash, velocity of money, no one's going to move anywhere. Nothing's going to happen. So gas prices are going to still go down. Prices for everything are going to go down. Now, that may feel good to you, but you're probably not going to get a wage increase anytime soon. The power of your dollar, the actual value of the dollar is actually going up because we are literally the best house in a bad neighborhood globally. It doesn't mean our house is in order. It just looks the best. Like we have the best crack house in the projects. It's still a crack house. It's just a reality. That's where we are, guys. So again, it may drive you bonkers if you're more of an academic economist, but this is the reality of things. This COVID-19 has really turned economy on its head. So we talked about the corporate socialism. We talked about how you know, the CEOs have had the outsized forward thinking of, let me just get paid more in that greed mentality, whatever you want to call it, and using capital markets for that. Now the Fed has bailed that out too. The Fed will make sure, the Federal Reserve will do whatever it takes to keep things going, including the mortgage market. Mortgage market, yeah, MBS. The fact that they can buy MBSs whenever they want, as much as they want, now mortgages will still be available. If they didn't cover MBS, guys, there will be no mortgages. You can never borrow money. You can never buy a home. They'll have to ask for 100% down or 80% down payment. It'd be too risky for the banks. It's the fact. That's just how they think. The last thing the banks want to do is lend to you personally, unless it's a credit card. They want to invest, they want to loan to big institutions where they make more money. Lending to regular side, regular Joes, that doesn't make them anything, guys. Just so you know, credit cards do because people hold the balance. But like lending you money so you can go on a trip like cash, that's, that doesn't make them money. Credit cards do, by the way. So now we know what the Fed is doing. They're literally backstopping everything. 
Here's the social effects. I'm going to make a point here, guys. You can call it an opinion. That's fine. And this is a fact, in my opinion. This is, this is an opinion slash fact, in my opinion. Hope that works. <laughs> the, the Federal Reserve is literally telling you right now, you have to invest money. If you don't invest money, stock market or whatever, you are really done. Why? They're giving you a safety net. They're saying, no matter what, we will not let you fail. We will not let you fail whatever risk you take. Weird, right? Like your value of the, of the, your value of your companies that you own may go down, but they'll do whatever it takes to prop the market up. That's all they care about. They care about the markets. That's their job. They're not politicians. They're going to do whatever it takes to prop this market up, guys. They are. They're, give, they're telling you, play Monopoly with us, and I promise you won't lose. We will pay you off every time, even if you land on, on luxury tax, the, the space in Monopoly. <laughs> if you land on someone else's hotel in Illinois Avenue, we're going to pay that. We're going to make sure that you're fine. We're going to make sure you have money. That's what's happening right now. It's insanity. But they have to protect the system. What's the alternative? They say go to hell. The purge would be done. But we started by midnight, guys. People be on the streets killing each other. You may not like it, but true laissez-faire capitalism cannot exist with human beings. Not in bad times. It can't happen. People get people return into survival mode. People will freak out. You have to kind of keep things the way they are. Human beings cannot handle change. Minor change, let alone. People still can't keep social distancing. It's where we are, guys. So we're in a sense now of moral hazard of people that are taking risks are going to be bailed out no matter what. And you're probably thinking to yourself, well, Carlos, how can the Fed bail out every investor, every company, and the market, and the capital markets? How is that sustainable? I'm glad you asked. Do you know a percentage of people that actually own stocks or have investments? Literally like a good size of investment. I'm saying at least 100,000. Probably around 8%, maybe 5% of the United States. The rest of the people don't have an idea. The rest of the people, really, 30% of Americans, guys, don't have $400 in emergency fund to cover an emergency. 30%. You have an elite top investors. Elite. I'm talking about millionaires and billionaires. The elite. A lot of their money is tied to real estate, equity, and the stock market. A lot of them do. Business. They don't have that in cash. It's all paper. The rest are working nine to fives trying to make ends meet, guys. It's just, it's an extreme, but it's the truth. The Fed is literally bailing out the top, the rich. And they can do that based on proportion. So they're giving you the green light to take risks right now. They're literally giving you that green, that green light. We bought stocks personally at 2300 on the S&P. We've been saying that. It's on a different podcast. But that's where we are. And the social effects have changed. The government has basically seen, it's telling you to take risks. Don't worry. We will bail you out. The risk is you're playing a game that is tilted if you're an investor, if you're wealthy, that's an opinion, not a fact, but my opinion. It is tilted that if you are wealthy, you will get bailed out. If you are regular Main Street, you will not. Perfect example, look at the bailouts for the big corporations, the money that's going to big corporations in the bond markets. How much are you getting as a regular Main Street person? 1200 versus billions. Not much, right? Literally, what can you do with $1,200 if you've been laid off for a month? It's kind of tough out there. But if you're a company and you just got flooded with liquidity to get loans, 
you're, you can survive. Now, grant, granted, you're a company, you employ a lot of people. Yes. And they're trying to push that payroll protection program. Yes. And I agree with all of it. It should work. I hope so. But you got to think of it in a sense of the wealthy are always going to win. The Federal Reserve has now legislated that. They're literally backing that up. Capitalism now, guys, due to this, and I'm gonna, this is in conclusion now. We've talked about it a lot. In conclusion, guys, capitalism will change due to this COVID-19 virus. It just will be. We're not going to be to the point that I think spending habits will change for individuals, knowing that a catastrophe could happen at any time. This is the first catastrophe on a national scale since the Great Depression. Because in 2008, it was really just a couple of real estate people. It wasn't everybody. But now everyone is affected. I think people are going to start saving more. People are going to be very cogniz- uh, really thinking about what they're doing, they're spending on. They're not going to be going crazy. Spend. Uh, they're not going to be going crazy going to debt. They're really going to have that in their mind moving forward. We know that. So that means that consumer spending may go down. Consumer credit may go down. The lifeblood of the economy, right, is credit. We know this, and spending that may change. And now with this kind of risk deferment or risk adverse environment that if you're an investor, don't worry, we'll always bail you out. You may have an adverse effect where people, like we talked about the people who take advantage, right? Kind of the people who change their tax stuff in order to get more, that kind of greed mentality, people are gonna push the envelope, guys. It's probably gonna get worse. (laughs) You're gonna get a lot of people, a lot of these CEOs saying, oh, well, you bailed me out, I'll just keep doing it. Maybe more people are gonna more trade on leverage. Maybe more people are gonna go ahead and invest on leverage and really push the envelope toward the future. And again, you may get the ripple effects years down the line from these kind of policies. You have to have a risk of failure, guys. You have to have that risk of failure in order to protect the capital markets. Because if not, if everything pays out, it's like going to a casino where every every time you win. I mean, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And it's just a fact. That's a fact. It's not sustainable. All right, guys. I know it's a lot. I really do appreciate you uh, listening to this podcast. Uh, Hope you learned a little bit. Hope you guys stay safe in your homes. Please practice social distancing um, and put your masks on. And uh, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you want to subscribe, GAR Capital Podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And uh, make sure to hit us up on our Twitter at GAR Capital. Make sure to check our Instagram page at GAR Capital. Thank you so much for listening today. Have a great and happy Easter, everybody, as you're home. And uh, we'll catch you for the next podcast. Cheers, guys. Stay safe.